the disability community is often the most left behind in healthcare. Uh, and that has been a very strong focus and passion of mine. Hey, folks, and welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. On this week's episode, we continue our Ohio candidate series, marching forward to the upcoming election on November 3rd, with early voting beginning on Tuesday, October 6th. If you aren't registered, aren't sure, or have moved and don't know what that might mean for you, we'll be including links to help you in our show notes at wcbe.org. While in our first installment of the series last week, we talked about a race for the U.S. Congress, this week we turn to state politics, focusing on a seat that Ohio Democrats would love to flip from its current Republican control in the 16th Senate District. I talk with mental health professional and advocate for improving health outcomes here in Ohio, Crystal Lett. Again, this is Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. As always, before turning to my conversation with Crystal, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter and other social media. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Some of the people we're going to be talking to for this candidate series have come from ideas that we've received through email from listeners, so we really appreciate that. Also, check out our new website at prognosisohio.com where you'll find an archive of episodes, show notes, links to social media, and other things as well. Again, that's at prognosisohio.com. And while you're checking out the new website, consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio patron for just $3 a month. We're hoping to expand the show to include live events, virtual or not, but also to expand the scope and quality of the podcast and the radio segments we pull from them to air on WCBE. All this takes a lot of work packed into weekends. We'll use any resources we bring in to make the show better, to reach further, and to improve the quality. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Crystal Lett is a Democrat running for state Senate in the 16th District, running against incumbent Senator Stephanie Kunze. The 16th Senate District encompasses a large swath of the western portion of Franklin County and has been held by a Republican since the Reagan administration. Crystal's a native of Hilliard and a graduate of Hilliard-Davidson High School. After high school, Crystal graduated from The Ohio State University in 2008 with a degree in political science. Not a bad time to give a shout out to all my fellow political scientists who might be listening. As you'll hear in the interview, Crystal's a mental health professional with a wide range of experience, which you can read about in more detail on her website. But they include serving as a case manager for North Central Mental Health, where Crystal worked with children between the ages of 14 and 21 years old who suffered from severe and symptomatic mental illness. And she's also an advocate for the Save the Children Action Network. In 2017, Crystal began a partnership with Ignite Our City to create an awareness for members of the community experiencing the tragedies associated with addiction and the opioid crisis. As you'll hear in the interview, though, it's not only Crystal's professional work in the healthcare space that's shaped her thinking about vulnerability and need, but the way her family life has converged with her professional and advocacy interests. I also want to mention, as I will before all of these interviews, that I've attempted to contact Senator Kunze's office to have the senator on the show. They haven't responded, but the invitation still stands. If anybody from Senator Kunze's office is listening, please get in touch at prognosisohio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, now to my conversation with Crystal Lett, running for state senate in the 16th district. Crystal Lett, thanks so much for joining me on the show and chatting about your campaign a little bit. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. So I just um, want to congratulate you at the beginning for 
coming up with what I regard as one of the best puns in campaign history. Let's go Ohio. Um, <laughs> I just have to ask, is is that your uh, creation or did you do you have some help with that one? I definitely have a lot of help. I have a good team. Um, but to be honest, the name is is a pretty good ballot name. <laughs> and, you know, it was it was pretty obvious to us right from the go that we had to use that both to you know raise my name ID, but also because it's just so helpful in communicating right. such an obvious thing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been really fun and, and crazy to see your name on things. That, that's been a wild transition for me to say the least. Yeah. And you get to actually press a button or pull a lever or something um, in November with your name on it. Yeah. So that's got to be a really interesting experience too. Yeah, certainly. It's not something I would have ever envisioned, I think, for myself. But alas, here we are in the craziest election cycle probably the country's ever seen. So You're not running in a normal year under normal conditions. And and that's uh, something we might want to get into. but let's start a little bit, you know, diving into healthcare by starting with the big picture. Um, you know, I spent some time with your website, so I know the answers to some of these, I, I believe. But I'm curious if you could just share with our listeners a little bit. Tell us about like what events or experiences in your life really inform your thinking about healthcare and and brought you to this. I mean, you're also a, somebody who's worked professionally in this field. So uh, that that's an interesting dynamic. But what what about the kind of personal motivation for making healthcare such a focus on your your platform? Yeah, it's it has been a very interesting journey for me and my my family. Really, I started my profession in community mental health, uh, working with fourteen to twenty one year olds with really severe and symptomatic mental health disorders. Uh, And that work really just taught me how to be a fighter and an advocate. But more importantly, it showed me where there are major gaps in the healthcare system, especially uh, with mental health and access to care, access to affordable care. Uh, And so that very much informed kind of my, you know, early career formative years um, right out of college. And, uh, you know, I also dealt with that growing up. My brother, David, had very, very um, serious mental health disorders. And, um, you know, I actually ended up losing him to suicide, um, you know, later in my career while I was actively working um, in mental health, which was very difficult. You know, I teach medical students, and one of the things that comes up a lot is this sense of, and the students will tell you this, say, who am I to help other people to help patients when I can't even help my brother, sister, mother, father, you know, this kind of sense of just the personal and the professional conflicting in a little bit of a way and, and trying to help them through that has been something I've had to do quite often. Yeah. It's a very difficult experience. Those are, you know, during the time of my brother's death, talking to my colleagues about it, I just found it to be so difficult. Uh, and, and I'm very thankful they were very supportive and, you know, they came to his funeral, which was a very, you know, meaningful experience for me. But I think that is one of the things that you discover is that there, you know, it doesn't even matter what socioeconomic level you, you know, persist at accessing quality, affordable mental health care affects every single person that became abundantly clear to me, uh, you know, both professionally and personally simultaneously. 
Uh, and it was just so difficult. Uh, and it, it really, you know, it, it kind of brings you to your knees for, for lack of a better term or phrase, uh, because you just realize what a deep, deep hole there is. Uh, and, and it can be very overwhelming for people. It certainly was for me. Um, and then, you know, a month after my brother's death, I had my first child and he was born uh, with a very, very rare genetic disorder. And, and we were not aware of that before his birth. So it was kind of trauma compounded on trauma um, for us that year. And, you know, I obviously was working in direct care with people with mental health disorders, but my husband was working at Goodwill Columbus taking care of adults with developmental disabilities. So we were both in these direct care worlds taking care of other people and really realized that, you know, the low pay and, and, and you know, just poor benefits, you know, bad health insurance benefits and the absence of, you know, paternal leave. Uh, in both of those situations, you know, we just realized that we had to make career changes to yeah. leave direct care, to take care of our own child with, with disabilities. And that was, you know, another very big realization that, that you can't take care of other people when you have your own child that, that requires that care. And it was, it was very sad for us, to be honest. And it took us a long time to be able to figure out what to do and how to take care of our family and provide for our child. Um, and, you know, we almost went bankrupt doing it, quite honestly. You know, and that's something that COVID-19 has really driven home for many people. And we, you know, in some ways, frustratingly enough, are, are really at the beginning of a, of a new phase of this. You know, there have been conversations about childcare. There have been conversations about the cost of childcare. There have been conversations about leave. Yeah. Um, you know, and none of them have really, none of them have been adequately addressed. But now yeah. we are talking about reopening schools and just realizing that we have none of the policy platforms in place to really, you know, make sure that educators can educate that, you know, People can do their jobs in a way that is focused on doing their work. Yeah. And also this issue of safety threaded through all of this. And Absolutely. it's you're running at a time where these issues are at peak, you know, value and peak yeah. concern. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it has been incredibly interesting uh, to watch this, you know. Kind of blow up into this nationwide issue. It's something I've been I've been working on paid leave legislation at both the federal and state levels uh, for gosh the past three years, four years, uh, and COVID nineteen. You know, it, it has just blown the need for paid leave out of the water. Um, and simultaneously, I've also been working on affordable childcare uh, policy for the same amount of time. Uh, and it's something that, you know, we've been shouting about that this is a problem that's getting worse as time goes on. But really, you know, the number of people that were willing to listen and actually, you know, take the time to consider introducing legislation, those were, you know, you can count them on one hand, how many people were interested at both the federal and state level. Um, and now with COVID-19, you know, it's become imperative that that parents can access affordable childcare. And especially in the state of Ohio, 
there is, we, we refer to it as a childcare desert, where for every one child that needs a place in a you know, center-based childcare program, there are three other children that are waiting for that place. So for every, every child that has a placement, there's three other children on a wait list um, yeah. for that spot. And so, you know, with child care centers not being able to stay open during the pandemic, it is going to be a significant, significant problem moving forward as parents return to work. It's just, I can't stress enough how important that issue is because, you know, you just can't leave kids at home by themselves while you're at work for, you know, all day, every day, especially if kids don't return to school in the fall. It's it's a serious issue that we need to yeah. address. So before we get into some of the specifics, and, you know, I wanted to talk about a couple of things that are, you know, uh, that you talk about on your website and your your platform, right, so yeah. to speak. Um, I just want to start with the, uh, with another big picture question, which is, you know, in, this, in the 16th Senate District, you know, what is it that really defines or distinguishes you from your opponent, Senator Kunze? Uh, if you were to sort of draw the big picture in the healthcare space, what do you think are the the couple of takeaways that people should know that you know put you in one corner and the senator <laughs> in, a, in a in a different corner? Sure. Not that I want to be too oppositional. Yeah, the the no. metaphors may be not good for the time. <laughs> right. But, you know, uh, you're running for office. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, besides the most obvious difference, which is our political party, you know, I think that one of the things that makes me unique as a candidate is that I don't just have, you know, the professional and legislative chops, you know, to go into the state house and make informed policy, but I also have a significant amount of lived experience um, that can speak to that, to those policies as well. I think so often when our legislators go in to that space and try and create things that will help other people or, you know, legislation that's informed for other people, they are not part of that othering. Uh, mm. And that's not true for me. I, I have applied for Medicaid. I have, you know, applied for CHIP uh, for my kids. I have almost gone bankrupt uh, because of the healthcare system. I have lost a loved one uh, to, because of inadequate mental health treatment and the inability to access it. Uh, and so I think that when you craft legislation in a way that accounts for that, it leaves the opportunity for unintended consequences or it you know, creates the opportunity to not have as many unintended consequences because uh, that's where it all kind of breaks down for people is what does it look like to apply for Medicaid? What does that, what are the barriers there? And, and having that lived experience, I think is really meaningful. Um, and, you know, also having that lived experience gives you a fair amount of, of grit <laughs> when, mm -hmm. when you're trying to navigate the political world. Uh, and I do think that that very much sets me apart from my opponent is that, that grit, that fierce determination uh, and knowing what it's like to be on the other end on, you know, the short end of the stick, if you will. Yeah. Something that really strikes me looking at the kinds of things that you focus on and a lot of it is driven by your life experience, but also, commitments that were clearly in place before some of those life experiences started. Yeah. Um, our listeners may want to know, for example, that, uh, so I met you originally through Catherine Poe, who was on the show. Uh, Catherine is a student activist. 
um, just a fantastic advocate for, uh, in our case, the episode that we did with was on insulin pricing yes. uh, with Representative Liston. And I had the two of them on to talk about that. And um, there's something about that world and the, and the focus that people like Catherine and you bring to the table uh, focused on rare disorders that people may not know about, but also just disability, vulnerability, these things that shape the broader thinking about whatever issue might come to you that you keep in mind the fact that you can talk about privileged folks, but really what drives a uh, transformation in healthcare is a focus on those people who are positioned uh, with the least power in them and the least focus. Yeah. The disability community is often, you know, the most left behind in healthcare. Uh, And that has been a very strong focus and passion of mine because, you know, I believe, you know, to my core that every single person should be represented at the state house. And that includes and especially includes people with disabilities who, you know, can't afford a lobbyist, don't have anyone with deep pockets standing up there speaking for them. Um, And, you know, it has been a real privilege uh, for me over the years to be able to do that and just call attention to those issues that that don't get screamed about loud enough, really. Right, that is right, what it right. is. So let's talk a little bit about some of the items um, in the platform then. And, and I'm going to give you an impression I have from looking at the bigger picture, which is that, as you know, in the, within the Democratic Party, progressives, you know, um, you know, Bernie and Biden and those conversations that have been happening, <laughs> you know, there's a conversation about Medicare for all. And if I got it right, you're positioning yourself in a way that you really want to improve upon our existing public health uh, systems, Medicaid, CHIP, Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't seem to be going in for that uh, more transformative change. And of course, this is not a criticism. This is the conversation that's happening. And I'm sure you're also talking to people daily within your campaign. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your view for where things should go with keeping in mind that a lot of this is on the federal level and you're running for state office. Exactly. Yeah. I think for me, you know, the ultimate goal would be to have Medicare for all at the federal level, but you know, seeking a statewide office, I, I think about it in two ways. One is kind of protective policy from bad federal policy. Uh, mm. So, you know, in the state of Ohio, we can end surprise medical billing for folks. We can protect people with pre-existing conditions and we can approve upon the public systems that already are in place, Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, um, and really make those systems work better for people who are consumers of them. Uh, and that's, you know, a huge passion of mine, especially having a son that that is on Medicaid through the Department of Developmental Disabilities. But, you know, those are that's my pragmatic and practical approach to what exists right now as it stands. But then I have something that I refer to as, you know, my unicorn dreams, which is, <laughs> you know, if we were able to do better, if we had, you know, money from from the federal government, if they passed, you know, Medicare for all or some sort of configuration of, of that that policy then, you know, it, it comes down to the states to administrate that, or at least that is what I believe will happen, that you know, hmm. if they pass that, then it's the state's job to administrate that, similarly to Medicaid. Uh, and in that way, I think if we put attention towards making the systems that we already have in place functional, 
effective, efficient, then whatever happens at the federal level, we can then administrate that appropriately and, and do a good job. It's like setting us up for whatever comes from the top down and making sure that, that we're prepared as a state to do that and not, you know, running around for months and months on end trying to figure out what we're going to do to expand, you know, what we need to expand and change what we need to change. So really yeah. for me, it's, it's, it's both, both worlds, pragmatic and, you know, the hopes and dreams of what's to come. Right. Uniforms and pra- uh, unicorns and pragmatics at the same time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and that's a good, really good point because, you know, while we can all, and we should, sit back and talk about what we ultimately want American healthcare to look like. There's a lot of defending that needs to be done and something that comes out in your platform. You know, assuming you win, you would take office at a time where we still have a Supreme Court case looming right. that could undo the Affordable Care Act almost in its entirety, yeah. including the Medicaid expansion. And, you know, um, more than 600,000, I believe, uh, Ohioans are still um, you know, receiving healthcare through that. That's right. So, so you have to run interference and do defense even right. while you're building new things. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what the Medicaid expansion has meant to Gosh. you um, and how you would think about that as a legislator. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Medicaid expansion has been so important to Ohio. Uh, it's been very important to the disability community you know, just having access to Medicaid, you know, so many families have access now that didn't, we had access to Medicaid as a family while we were transitioning, you know, careers, both my husband and I, and we would not have had access to that, but for Medicaid expansion. And so this is a little bit of the pragmatic side is, you know, while we're hoping and, and advocating for Medicare for all, we're also propping up the Affordable Care Act because that's where we're at right now. And that's what's taking care of people right now. And it's just constantly, constantly under attack. And really, one of the things that, that I've learned um, professionally is that, you know, when they say they're going to have cuts to things, um, it's really interesting how that goes down. So in mental health, what that looks like, you know, when they say, we're going to have cuts to Medicaid. It means reduction of services, uh, mm. and it's very, it leaves people very vulnerable. So, for a really you know a literal case study, I I had kids on my on my caseload, fourteen to twenty one year olds who were a, uh, many of which were aging out of the foster care system. And that time when you age out at age eighteen. Uh, it's a very, very, very vulnerable time for folks. And if you don't have a case manager that is dedicated to you and, and able to help you walk through that, it can leave you know folks in a really be- very bad place. And so, you know, when while I was working, there were cuts made to Medicaid, even with expansion, that took my ability to work with those clients for more than a couple hours at a time uh, away. And so it's where I could, you know, go with someone for five hours, help them, you know, meet with their um, career counselor or take them to look at apartments, all of those things that require hours of time. I then could not help them with because I could only be with them for two hours at a time instead right, of five. Right. So those are things that, that I think we are going to have to be so laser focused on. And many legislators don't have that professional experience and know what to look for and what to watch out for. Um, and and I do. And I want to make sure that I can bring that to the state house to protect those folks that, that really need it. 
the very, very most. Also, Ohio has this kind of fascinating dynamic right now where our former governor, John Kasich, has been invited to speak at the Democratic National Convention. Yes. You know, I mean, much to mixed reviews from uh, <laughs> from Democrats around the state, but you see what they're doing. They're trying to appeal to a center. Um, I don't know if they know that the gov- former governor doesn't poll all that well in Ohio <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but, you know, I, but there is this kind of funny moment where, um, you know, our former governor um, is really one of the major forces. Why? We have Medicaid expansion. The attorney general hasn't joined the lawsuits that could take down the ACA and the Medicaid expansion, but isn't out there, you know, really speaking about it uh, very actively either. Right. So 2021 is going to be a really pivotal year, but also has a very unique kind of political moment because if the Affordable Care Act is overturned, that's going to drop on the laps of uh, state legislators and the governor. Mm -hmm. To, to solve it. Yeah, it's a very precarious place to be in. And and I think, you know, that kind of speaks all the more towards why you need people in the state legislature that understand how Medicaid works, that understand, you know, who the people are that are accessing it, what their needs are, you know, where they're vulnerable. Uh, and I, in my opinion, I think it would be a, a tragedy for the state of Ohio if we lost Medicaid expansion. And, and it's something that, you know, we will have to be incredibly loud about. And, and really, that I hope, um, and it is my goal, and, and I, I believe I can speak for every single Democratic candidate, is that we want to break the supermajority in both the House and the Senate because it's it lends itself to better representation to for everyone. One party rule is not helpful, uh, and more voices, a uh, multiplicity of voices at the table is, is what's best for us and and for our state and really for our country. Uh, and so I don't mind necessarily that, you know, Governor Kasich has been invited to speak at the Democratic National Convention. I want to hear a multiplicity of voices. You know, we call ourselves the part, the big tent party. Uh, and and I really believe in that. It's something that brought me to the Democratic Party uh, is that big tent concept that that everyone is welcome. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for us, but discomfort is not always a bad thing. <laughs> Well, if there are any Democratic candidates out there who do not want to break the supermajority <laughs> in the, at the state house, I would love to hear from them. We could sure. <laughs> yeah, that we have. That'd problems. be a really interesting <laughs> conversation. I guess just one or two final questions um, before we wrap up today, and one of them is, you know, you can't help based on your, your your personal experience and your biography and your family and, and all that you've lived through, you can't help but to kind of notice on your website and your platform that there, there seems to be, and tell me if I'm wrong, but an assumption that if we really get kids care, if we really invest in childhood care in the right way, that's a huge lift for our entire healthcare system. Absolutely. Right? It, it seems like that. Do I have that kind of right? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, that, and and I think we realize that with CHIP and early development and a lot of people with the school reopenings and online education are really concerned about what long-term consequences there might be for what we do right now um, that we might not even realize for a decade, right? Absolutely. But I wonder also, we've been through COVID and, you know, um, you look at 
the deaths and the uh, vulnerabilities, aside from racial disparities, which are a huge part, we also have an age-based disparity um, and, and the situation with uh, nursing homes and elder care and, and all that. And I wonder, how do you think about the full picture, kind of the, uh, the longitudinal, to use the fancy yeah. language, right, yeah. of, of, you know, um, of young kids and then how what we've learned about caring for seniors recently as well? I mean, do you, do you have a kind of thought on that bigger picture? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that working on children's issues and really issues that that affect young families is that you can't help but connect the dots all the way up to senior care. Uh, And, you know, we really know that investing in children is a long term play. uh, And I think that doesn't happen enough in politics. And if we set this generation up well, both with healthcare and, and outcomes and jobs and education, et cetera. Uh, it lends itself to, you know, more financially solvent seniors and healthier seniors. Uh, and so really those two are very interconnected. And I think a lot of times people kind of categorize them as either or, or you only care about kids. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a very long spectrum. And and we have to plan now for the future while taking care of our seniors simultaneously. I think we see that play out in education, especially. If we don't fund education correctly, then we're left to rely on property taxes Mm. to fund our school districts. And those property taxes are very, very difficult for folks that are retired and on fixed income. It really takes a a financial toll on people, uh, especially our seniors. And it's a very big deal to be able to age in place with dignity is, it's just, it can't be understated how important that is. These are, are people that have, you know, given their lives to our communities and to our countries and, and to our country, uh, taking care of us as kids, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and making sure that we have what we need and we owe it to them to see them through, uh, and to, and to do that in a way that is, you know, both appreciative and respectful of their wishes. And most people, you know, hands down seniors say to me on the trail, you know, when we were out on the trail, yeah, <laughs> given that, uh, that they want to be able to, that they don't want to have, education, you know, go by the wayside, but, but they also can't afford a property tax increase. And so it's something I think we need to be very thoughtful about, um, and, and recognize what the interconnectedness is between all of us. And, and that big picture is crucial. You know, when you're elected to office, whatever your pet passion projects are, your responsibility is to represent every single constituent in your district. And, and that's something I think about quite often that, you know, me getting elected is not about me. It's about the people that put me there, the people yeah. that believed in me and trusted me. And so I'm excited and and humbled and honored, you know, that I've gotten this far. Um, and it, it would just be a real honor to be able to take, you know, my advocacy and that grit uh, to the next level and to be able to advocate for more people. Well, I think that's a great place to to, to end. And uh, thanks for connecting the dots, you know, from, uh, from you know, the young to the older yeah. and, and and thinking about that. I think that's something that we, we need to give a lot more thought to, especially as our population ages. Absolutely. Um, 
and other sort of demographic changes suggest that we need need to do a better job with that. So, Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for sharing some perspectives on healthcare. Um, we're looking forward to you know seeing what happens um, in the coming months. Yeah. Um, some of us wish we could just fast forward to November fourth, just to sort of like. You know, there's so much anxiety and so much uncertainty. It would just be nice to know what we're dealing with in a way. Yeah, I identify with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very much looking forward to to November fourth, regardless well, of what happens. It's it's been an interesting year, to say the least. Well, we talked to a lot of state legislators on this show, and uh, perhaps we'll have a chance to talk to a uh, senator let uh, in in the coming year. Oh, that would that would be an incredible honor. And I appreciate you so much for having me on and giving me a platform to share my story and, and my vision. Yep. And we'll be sharing your website and other resources through social media and elsewhere uh, with the episode. So thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. My many thanks to Crystal Lett for joining me on the show. You can read more about Crystal and her campaign at lettforohio.com. That's L-E-T-T-F-O-R-O-H-I-O.com. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the Podcast Experience tab. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by me, Dan Skinner, and produced by me and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio and friend us on Facebook. You can also check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. As always, we encourage you to reach out with your suggestions and your feedback, especially for candidates you'd like to hear from over the next few weeks. Thanks for listening, folks, and be well.